The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Come on, how many of you would admit our big fat mouths get us in trouble sometimes? Isn't it terrible? Yeah, a lot of hands in the air. We're in a series called My Big Fat Mouth, and Andrew two weeks ago did a great job opening up the series today. Uh, is part two. We're going to talk about criticizing and complaining. So turn your Bibles, if you got them, to um, Exodus 14. If you own a Bible but it's at home, I would encourage you to bring them. I think it's good to get familiar with the pages. Before we jump into that, though, um, I do want to mention that you saw it on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, but if you missed it, we got occupancy on Friday. So come on. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Anyway, yeah, so there you go. But uh, I got skills to pay the bills. Uh, anyway, but no, it's super exciting. Right now, we are two weeks away from the grand opening of our kids' wing, and uh, it's looking awesome, but we got a lot to do. And mostly the communication coming up is going to be through Facebook as far as specifically we're going to need some volunteers to come around and help us work on hanging things on walls and, and prepping some stuff to do the theming. So that's the next two weeks. And if you're available and you see that on Facebook, we would love for you to respond, show up in some you know, hour, two, three, whatever it might be. But um, we would love to have your help as we move towards the grand opening. Um, most of us probably have a favorite Christmas movie, and um, it, it, right now it, I think we probably box everything up and put it away until next Christmas season, unless you're the guy up on Grove who still has his Christmas lights up. But anyway, um, no judgment there. Merry Or maybe it's Valentine's Light. Maybe that's what it is. So happy Valentine's Day. But anyone in here have a favorite Thanksgiving movie? Just raise your hand, okay? Um, yeah, there's like three hands, mine and like two others. Um, I do, and my favorite Thanksgiving movie is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So, and now you're like, oh, then I do have one. Yeah, so, but uh, it, it is a Thanksgiving movie. It's, it's a guy named Neil Page, um, and he's trying, he's an ad executive. He's trying to get home from New York to Chicago, and that's played by Steve Martin. Thank you. I don't know why I keep, I need to write that down. Steve Martin, and um, planes are canceled. There's a storm, a train breaks down, all this stuff. But the bigger part of the movie is obviously that he ends up um, having to travel with a guy named Del Griffith, and he's a shower curtain ring salesman who carries a big briefcase or a big suitcase, and um, uh, it's it's hilarious what happens. But but uh, Neil Page is the, the kind of glass half empty guy, while Del Griffith is constantly the glass half full guy. And there's a scene that I want to show you where Neil Page. This is after they've stayed the night in a hotel because there wasn't any, so they end up in one hotel room on like a full size bed, two grown men, and and he's finally. Um, uh, finally fed up. Steve Martin is finally like absolutely fed up and he gives him this speech that I thought it would be good for you to sort of see. So if we can cue that up real quick. I, he just won't stop. You're like, is he done yet? <laughs> and you just, honestly, you, you, you feel like I do, but you just want to cringe. But again, Neil Page, Steve Martin's character, is the guy who is just glass half empty throughout the entire movie. And Del Griffith somehow or another, through the same circumstances, is a glass half full kind of guy. And, and in part two of My Big Fat Mouth, the question simply is this, where are you at in this conversation? Are you the kind of person that is glass half full, or do you tend to navigate towards being negative, towards grumbling, being sour, and complaining? Because obviously we tend to look at life uh, in a certain way. We have a certain viewpoint. What would those closest to you say about how you navigate your life? And then finally, of course, the bigger question, I think, is what does God have to say 
about this. And what I want to do is look at Exodus chapter 14, and, and we're gonna, I'm going to read some of it here in a moment. But the backstory to Exodus 14, it's the second book of the Bible. Genesis is the first, and then Exodus. Exodus obviously means you know, to escape or to get out of. And, and Exodus is God challenging Moses to rise up and deliver the Hebrews Okay, the Israelites from Egypt because they're slaves in Egypt. And God has said, Moses, you need to go to Pharaoh and tell him, my people are out of here. We need to go. And little by little, there's a whole process that goes on. But God says they're going to get out of Egypt. So Moses, reluctantly with his brother Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and they say, you need to let the people go. And Pharaoh's like, absolutely not. They're doing all the work. We love it. They're staying. And, and, and it escalates that over time there's plagues. And there's like plagues of frogs and uh, you know, locusts and gnats and hail and a plague of darkness. And finally, the last plague is the plague of the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh relents and says, fine, go, all of you, get out of here. So the Israelites you know, get, you know, escape and, and, and get out. And now you get to Exodus 14. I've skipped a bunch. But Exodus 14, verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of, the, of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Heroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there, there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God, as we stop for a moment and pray, we simply invite your spirit to do a work in every one of us. That I really believe that for every single person in this room, that it's easy to find ourselves grumbling, complaining, griping, being sour about sometimes big things, but sometimes petty things. And God, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts together to realize, God, you, you raise the bar. You want something different than, than the normalcy of, of operating with grumbling. With, that's just how it is. That's how my family is. That's how my workplace is. That's just how things go. That, God, we wouldn't make excuses, Lord, for what you would say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So again, here's Moses, and, and the Israelites are, are out of Egypt and leaving, and, and all of a sudden, the Egyptians follow, and when they see the Egyptians, they freak out. Then, then of course, they grumble and complain to, to, to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that we come out here to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out? And yet, Moses had said to the Israelites, the God that you say you serve, that God has said it's time to get out of slavery. It's time for us to be done with this. And, and Moses was very clear about what God wanted of the nation. It doesn't mean it wouldn't take risk. It doesn't mean it wouldn't be kind of crazy or make their hearts race or, or fear wouldn't try to grip them. And in the same way, in your life and my life, there's times where we feel like, man, God is, is maybe impressing this upon me or this is the direction my life ought to go or, or here's some things I'm thinking about that I believe God would have for me. And we sort of expect that if God's in it, it should always be easy. Because sometimes when things get hard, we all of a sudden go, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, do you not care? God, have you left? God, are you even there? And here's Egypt, or here's Israel, and they're grumbling and they're complaining. Moses then does what God says, and he reaches out his staff, and then there's an old movie that, that depicts this, and, and all of a sudden the waters part, and the nation of Israel gets through the, the, the sea, and, and as the Egyptians chase them into where the sea would be, the water comes back over itself, and the Egyptians are drowned. What a mighty victory! What an incredible thing! And there's times where you maybe read this and go, you know, I'd love to go over to Lake Stevens or I'd love to go out to Lake Goodwin and, and just kind of, all right, Lord, do it. And if the Lord parted them, me and God, we'd be good. We'd be, no more, Lord, I'm not asking for anything else. We're cool. And yet, look at the nation of Israel. It, it, the very next chapter, this is chapter 14, the very next chapter, Miriam, Moses' sister, sings a song and then writes a song that they all sing and they're amazed at how awesome God is. And you get to the end of that chapter, chapter 15, and look at verse 22. Then Moses led the Israelites from the Red Sea into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Verse 24, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Keep in mind, this was not them saying, hey Moses, what should we drink? No, no, no. This was them grumbling. Moses, what are we supposed to drink now? And sometimes in your life and my life, there's this weird phenomenon that the people closest to us get the worst of us quicker. Isn't it amazing how you can come to church and you got a host team badge or you're just showing up and you hang out and, and somebody maybe cuts you off in the lobby and, and they're like, oh, sorry, oh, no sweat. And then at home, if that happens with one of your kids, that cuts you off and you kind of, hey, watch where you're going, little rug rat. Or you're short with your spouse. And sometimes it's over the smallest of things. But you find yourself grumbling and griping and complaining. and You're always at odds and, and you're so quick to jump to, you know, a level one, things are okay, to a level ten, like, ah! I realize maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but I know that we resonate with this. That we're so quick. My wife reminded me as she was listening to Focus on the Family last week and yesterday we were talking over the, these notes a bit. 
And she said to me, I was listening to this on Focus on the Family. They were talking about how it is that, that, that we can be much more impatient with those that we care about most. Quicker to get in quarrels with people that know us the best. And how odd that seems if you think about it. The people that we care about the most get the worst of us quickest. But what do you find yourself becoming sour about? What do you find yourself complaining about? For, for the Israelites, the sea was parted. And three days later, where's the water, Moses? We're thirsty. And then, keep going, they, they, they move to another area. Verse 27, they came to Elam where there was 12 springs and 70 trees. And they camped there near the water. I love that it says that. Now they got plenty of water. The whole Israelite community then set out, after they camped there for a little bit, set out and came to the desert of Sin, which is a perfect name for this desert. The desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they're six weeks into their deliverance from Egypt. After they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt! There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. When will it stop? If I'm Moses, I'm like, I quit. I'm good. I'm going my own. You're, you're, we're done. I'm done with you. Six weeks. I mean, God has performed crazy miracles. I've skipped over parts where it talks about how God guided them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I mean, miracles that you and I would think, we're good. But, but here's the nation, and, and, and they all are out there. They're, they're, they're needing some food, and they're just cranky. You know, you're not you when you're hungry? Kind of that type of deal. <laughs> but back to where, where we're at, what do we find ourselves complaining about? Maybe for some of you go, I'm not married, and I, I want to be married. And then you play, well, now I'm married, I wish I wasn't married. <laughs> and maybe it's big things, huge stuff going on that, that really is monumental in our life. But, but how many of us complain? My slow Wi-Fi is driving me bonkers. I can't stream Netflix today, what's wrong with this? <laughs> Hashtag third world problems. The rain? Anybody in here want to admit you've complained about the rain in the last week? You live here. This is the Pacific Northwest. What do you want? Sun? It's called San Diego. You're going to have to move, man. Let, let, me, let me read something for you from Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling or complaining, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul wrote this. Do you know what book this is? Philippians. Do you know where he wrote Philippians? Prison. He was in jail. And jail wasn't cable television and a weight set and meals. 
Jail back then was horrid. And here's Paul saying, hey, if you can, try to do a lot of stuff without grumbling or complaining. Hey, hey, if you're able to pull it off, you guys, in the next six days between this Sunday and next Sunday, try to get away with doing at least a couple of things without grumbling or complaining. Is that what it says? See, the problem with you and I sometimes is we read this and it's like hyperbole or or just an analogy or just a, a good idea. But what does he say word for word? Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Do you know what the Greek word there means in English? Everything. Everything. And so we read that, and what we read it as is, oh, that's a nice idea. Or we go, well, it's impossible to do everything, but maybe a couple things this week. And so we play that card. Well, I'm going to try to do something a little different today without grumbling. Tomorrow we'll see. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Listen, he says why. So that you may be blameless and pure. What he's saying here is this affects two things. This affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That when we live grumbling and complaining, glass half empty and Murphy's Law, everything can go wrong. When we do that, it affects our connection with our Heavenly Father in a negative way. So he says that, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now he's getting to blameless and pure, that it affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father, which then, listen, in turn affects how we shine the light of Jesus into a world that tends to be negative, into a world that tends to to, to grumble and complain and glass half empty. And, And like I said earlier, we go, well, that's just the way my work is. Well, that's just the way that my family is. Well, that's just the way that I operate. Listen to me, there, we have this phrase for a grumpy old man, a curmudgeon. Guy's just a curmudgeon. And we throw that out there like it's just the way it goes with some people. They're going to get old and crotchety. But you know what, as I've thought about it? No, I'm not 80 or 90 or 70. No, no, I'm not. But here's what I tend to think. Listen carefully. The older that we get, the less people there are that are willing to correct us. And if we live with a certain excuse for having this sort of attitude that's crotchety and grumbling and complainy, and nobody actually challenges us that it can be different, then we go through decades where it just continues, and, and so we just get away with it. And then, because we're older, and, and there aren't people out there that are willing to rebuke us because we're the elder, we're older, we know better, then we just excuse it. They're just a curmudgeon. And yet, I don't believe it has to be that way. And I'll fight everything I can to not become like that. Because I don't want to make excuses as we sometimes do for this is just how I'm why. I'm just a glass half empty kind of guy. I'm just all, I always look at things in the negative, just how I am. Oh, really? I'm in prison. I'm going to write you a letter and do everything without grumbling or complaining. Merry Christmas. Paul says, this is, do everything without grumbling or complaining unless you're over the age of, let's say, 40. He doesn't say that. Because he's, listen, he's trying to raise the bar for everyone. Not for one small group of people. For everyone. 
there's a real danger to complaining. A couple years ago, I read a book by uh, Travis Bradbury, Dr. Travis Bradbury, and, and I'm going to bring up a couple of comments, but this book is called Emotional Intelligence, and a couple years ago I read it because I always want to get better at being emotionally intelligent. What it means is when, when your blood starts to boil or the stakes are high in a conversation, a spouse or a business, whatever it might be, or, or something, that you don't fly off the handle and burn every bridge and move on. And so I, I bought this book, I'm like, this is going to be good. And I opened it up and started getting into it. And the first thing you have to do is go online and take a quiz. How emotionally intelligent are you? I'm like, sweet, love quizzes. This will be great. Take the quiz. I got a 56%. And you're going, why are you a pastor? You sound like a jerk. (laughs) I can't figure it out either. Just kidding. No, but I took the quiz and I realized there's a lot of areas for me to grow. And as I continued through the book, and it's a great book about becoming more emotionally intelligent, if you tend to fly off the handle, you tend to not respond the right ways, and you burn a lot of bridges and blame everyone else, there's a common denominator. Anyway, but, but it's a great book. But, but Dr. Travis Bradbury says this about complaining. Number one, repeated complaining actually hardwires the brain to complain more. That shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. When we tend to look at life as glass half empty, it's not just that area that's glass half empty. It's all over the place. He continues, number two, negative speech produces what psychologists call a confirmation bias, where you expect something bad and it happens. That's where I mentioned a little bit ago, we play the Murphy's Law. Well, if anything can go wrong, it will. Or boy, if it rains, it pours. Or I'm not surprised that fail. I knew it was going to be a a loser in the first place. Or Well, I'm supposed to interview for a job. I'm sure I won't get it because I always interview like garbage anyways. (laughs) Merry Christmas, great life. You're awesome. Yeah, you're going to fail. Right? This is not new news to any of us. The third thing is this. Negativity produces loneliness. And I don't even have to say why. Nobody likes to be around negative people. It's that simple. And finally, what happens is we take our eyes off of God who who we would believe our Heavenly Father has a plan, that God can use adversity and tough things and challenges and trials to shape us and mold us and and do things that even though at times maybe He's shown us what a future might look like, that there's all kinds of trials all along the way to get there. That it's not always so easy. It's never just easy. And so what, what happens is we take our eyes off of His goodness and we focus on the problem. That's what the nation of Israel was doing. If you look at it, it says it says right before in uh, chapter 14, right before they, they, they saw the Israelites, the, the Egyptians, they were going out boldly. They're like, we're out of here. This is freedom. We're no longer captives. And then they turn around and go, we're being chased. Oh, no. They freak out. And all of a sudden, Moses, what are we doing? We're dead meat. I can't believe you brought us out here. We're all going to die. their eyes off of what God had said. And Moses was very clear. God says it's time for us to not be slaves anymore. Oh, well, then everything should be easy to get out of this. But we assume that. In our own lives, we assume that. Well, God has a great whatever for me in the future. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy getting there. It doesn't mean everything's going to lie. It doesn't even mean that it's always forward progress to get there. Sometimes it's like this. Two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. Eight steps forward, a half step back. 
And yet we tend to go, unless it's always forward, then God somehow isn't with me or I'm doing something wrong or he's bailed out. We can't afford to take our eyes off of God's goodness in the midst of those things that we're going through that we would say this is a trial. Can't afford to. Going back to Philippians 2. After he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining, listen to this. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and, will re- and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is saying is, in a poetic way, I'm suffering. Things aren't going so great for me. But here's the deal. I'm good with that because I realize it's bolstering your faith. It's helping you realize that if I can hold on, so can you. So he says, I rejoice. Even though I'm in prison. Even though I may not survive my exit from this place. Even though my life is on the line. He says, I rejoice because somehow what's, what's going on with me is affecting you for the positive. I'm glad for that. give you a couple of things just to help you as you kind of unpack living this out as a daily discipline. First thing would be this, dwell on the positive. Look, if it means you need to turn off the news channels, for goodness sake, turn them off. (laughs) I watch the news almost daily and I, I read articles, but there's days where it's like, holy cow, it's like a tailspin of horror. Dwell on positive. It's, it's why we talk about reading the Bible. And you're like, you're going to roll your eyes and go, could you just quit saying read the reading plan? Could you just quit saying read the Bible all the time? You know what? I realize I beat that drum a lot because I believe it's the healthiest thing you can do as a believer in Christ to grow in, in your faith. Have a habit of reading the Bible and make it a daily habit. If you go, I'm tired of hearing it, then, then maybe find another great church where they can say it differently. But if you want to dwell on positive things, Read this. And what it helps you understand is the nature and character of this God we talk about all the time. This God we sing songs about, we worship, we raise our hands and try to navigate life. This God is revealing himself through these pages. And so you want to dwell on positive, probably one of the best ways is this. I met with somebody a few days ago and life, challenging things going on and overwhelming stuff. And one of the things we talked about is having a steady diet of reading the scriptures of spending time in prayer just talking to God about the stuff you're going through and creating an atmosphere of worship in your life, listening to the kind of music that, that focuses your attention on the right things, Jesus, rather than on everything else. Dwelling on positive things. The second thing is this. Surround yourself with people who build you up. When are we going to learn, show me your friends and I'll show you your future? At what point is that going to be true? Listen, I realize, and so you go, well, it's my family, and I can't just disown them. You're right. Well, it's my workplace, and, and I can't change everything about my workplace. You're right. But you can change you. But you can think differently. You can challenge yourself to not be glass half empty, not go along, and find those people that are positive influences. I was in the lobby earlier, and, and my friend came up to me and goes, man, you look good. He goes, makes you want to have breakfast with me, doesn't it? I'm like, dude, Yeah. Because when you're around people that build you up, that's a fun place to be. It's why we keep talking about life groups. 
conversations in groups like we had a few days ago that leads me to the third thing. Number one, dwell on positive things. Number two, surround yourself with people that can build you up. Number three, surprise others with a positive spin on a negative situation. And that was in our life group the other day. We were just talking about how can we do this differently? How can we challenge one another and, and, and look and think differently about how we navigate the world we live in every day? And one of the guys in our group said, you know what? What if, what if we surprise people by putting a positive spin on something negative? So you're at the water cooler, you're wherever you're at in your work, and people are just kind of chit-chatting over lunch or something, and it's negative. What can you do to walk in there and, and say something positive instead? And it may not be about what they're talking about. It may have to be something a little bit out of left field. But how many people would be surprised if you did that? And if you would say everybody would be, it, it might mean you're pretty negative a lot surprise people by putting a positive spin on a negative situation. One of the examples in my life, I've talked about my, dri my driving habits and how good they are, and um, <laughs> one of the things uh, a few years ago that, that my wife and I talked about, because I do, I, this drive, if somebody cuts you off, you're like, you know what, man, we're going to have some fun now, and <laughs> that was not my first thought. It's always, God bless you. You know, have a, a great day. Well, meet me. God bless. You know? make a little Jesus fish out the window. Anyway. But, but I, I, I get frustrated by stuff like that. And where we live with all the traffic, it's just nuts. And my wife said, hey, instead of getting so negative real quick, what, what if they're going through something and they got to get somewhere and it's an emergency? I realize you go, ah, probably not. They're just being a jerk. Well, you know what? It keeps me from jumping off the cliff <laughs> to go, all right, maybe they got an emergency. And maybe that guy does too. And anyway, so... But, but honestly, like, and she, if they're like a slow driver and I'm like, I can't get around and they can't pass here, whatever it is, I'm like, come on, it's like 55, not 35, you know, whatever. You're just kind of like, just go, what's the, your gas pedal's on the right, you know, honk, flash, whatever. I don't think those things. Um, but honestly, she goes, and, and for people that are too slow, maybe they're having a really bad day and all they can do is barely get home right now. I know my wife, like a halo around her, like, hey, yeah. So, yeah, it's good for you. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> But, but like, like, what would it look like for you? Think about it. What would it look like for you to put a positive spin on something that can just automatically be negative? What is it for? Is it at your work? Is it with your family? Is it your immediate family you live with where you're just all chippy and whatever? What would it look like for you? Because I'm telling you, Paul doesn't raise the bar as like, eh, that's probably a good idea. Paul is saying this affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father and it affects our ability to shine the light of Jesus to a world that needs it. He says the world is, is crooked and warped, but and, and the world needs us to look and think and, and, and act differently than what everybody else does because people need him. And, and as a church, we talk, that's what we're all about, you guys. That's why we do, we want people to realize how awesome Jesus is, how much he cares about every one of them that we go to the cross. And it's not just something, come to church and let me like, hear the guy preach about it. No, no, we live it out every day. And that's what Paul's talking about. Every day, living this out. Just briefly, Ephesians, another letter Paul wrote to another church. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Father, today, God, I, I believe this is a message for all of us. And I, I think there's, uh, even as I look around, people that are unbelievably positive. 
And I, it's also, I, but I also know that there's times in all of our lives where we can be overwhelmed with negativity or we're just inundated with, with bad news here and bad news there. Some of us, it's, it's gigantic trials that no doubt we feel the fear. What in the world? And God, where are you? And we feel that. But you would have us lean into you instead of away. For some of us, it's as dumb as trying to put toothpaste on a toothbrush and we drop it on the floor and make a mess. And some people get crazy angry about it. Sometimes it's just little things. But God, for all of us, I pray there would be in us a spirit of surrender today that we don't live with the excuse, that's just how I am. That's just how my family is. That's just how my workplace is. Well, that may be, but what about you? And what could be different from you? God, I'm grateful that even as we confront these comments today, that your grace is enough as we even repent now. God, forgive us. Forgive us for being so critical. Forgive us for being so chippy, for so short-tempered. Forgive us, God, for saying things we shouldn't say, that our big fat mouth gets us in trouble. God, help it to be different. That, Lord, we can honor you, that our relationship with you can grow stronger, and that in turn affects our ability to shine your light to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.